Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. This is your captain speaking. That's only funny if you were here last week. And if you missed it, you can check out our YouTube page and check out Facebook and you'll catch up on the inside jokes. I don't usually start with an inside joke, but it was funny enough to do it. I'll tell you this, last week as I was leaving church, somebody screamed out of their truck window and said, have a great week, Peter. <laughs> Which is another inside joke. So you have to catch out, check out that sermon from last week. So please do that at some point if you're new today. But if you are new and, and you didn't have a clue about what I'm talking about, let me just still welcome you. My name is Andrew. We are so glad that you're with us. I'm so glad you showed up in person. This place is full and it's raining outside. And so if you're home because you're avoiding the rain, we understand that too. So welcome online. Here's the deal. We are in the book of Matthew and we're going through the entire book of Matthew as a church. Last week, we were in Matthew chapter 16. And we were verses 13 to 20, and that leaves us at verse 21 today through 23. Now, real quick, last week though, last week, we have this real crux of the faith. Like there's a moment that we experience where, where Peter says, Jesus, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. I mean, there's this monumental moment. And now what you're going to find is an immediate shift that Jesus has to make sure takes place for the next portion of his ministry. And this can be super important. And so I want you to see in Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 to 23, we're gonna call this setting your mind because there is a shift in the mindset that Jesus has to make sure gets accomplished within his immediate followers, his disciples. It has to be clear for them what's taking place and he's gonna to have to shift their mindset. So we're talking about setting your mind this week in these three verses, but there's only three verses this week, but I'm telling you what, they are packed with power. So we'll get to setting your mind in a minute, but speaking of setting things, one thing that I love about my iPhone, and I've loved it pretty much from the start, is that you don't really have to set it for an alarm. I mean, you gotta set your alarm, but then at that point, it figures life out for you. For instance, like daylight savings time. You ever had that issue before with like the alarm clock and like you forget to set it the night before and then all of a sudden you're all messed up the next day because all the times are off. Now, the first couple years of iPhone, I've had one since like the iPhone 3. And I think Steve Jobs didn't have it figured out quite yet. And so it messed up on the first daylight savings for me. But ever since then, as long as you've got a charge on your iPhone, you're gonna be in good shape for daylight savings. It's gonna figure it out for you while you sleep. So long as your phone doesn't die on you, that would be trouble. So make sure it's charged. And then even if the power goes out, your phone will hold the charge and you'll be good to go. I love that about the iPhone. But my teenager's in the front row. You don't even know life without the iPhone. <laughs> you were born after the iPhone, most of you. And so it's wild to me, but I'm older than that, okay? And so I'm 42. So I remember life before the iPhone and before that alarm clock. In fact, I had an old school alarm clock that was the loudest, I mean, it was dumb loud. It, it was crazy loud. And, and this alarm clock would scare you awake, which I guess it did its job. But this stupid alarm clock, whenever the power would go out, it would default to 12 a.m., which is not great, you know? And a lot of clocks do that, right? It blinks 12 a.m., and that's just kind of how it defaults back to the setting. But the bad part about my alarm clock is that it also default set the alarm clock setting to 12 a.m., so more than I'd like to admit, I forgot this. And then the very next day, or if the power went out in the night, the alarm would go off at midnight as loud as possible. See what you didn't have to deal with, you young people with iPhones? I mean, this was a horrible experience for me. But here's what I don't want you to miss today. What I don't want you to miss is that my alarm setting had a bad default setting. There was something wrong. It was poorly designed at least the default setting of my old school alarm clock was bad. It was bad. 
And I share all this today because Jesus is going to talk to you and I about settings. But he's not talking about alarm clocks today. He's going to talk about the settings of our minds. You and I have a default setting of the mind, whether you knew it or not, when you walked in today or watched this online. And Jesus wants to discuss it. So we're going to do that. We're going to break this down. We're going to break the text down into three points today to get the full context straight. So why don't we dive right in? If you're taking notes with me, here's your first fill in the blank. As we look at this setting your mind and Jesus adjusting the default settings of our mind, here's the first fill in the blank. It's the must. We're going to look at the must. The must. I'm not referring to the smell in your basement or your attic, okay? I assure you, it's a different must. Here is the must. The must is what Jesus says must happen in the final phase of his time on this earthly ministry that he's about to embark on. There's a divine plan at play, and Jesus must accomplish certain things. The Christ, the Messiah, who he just affirmed that he was in the previous verses, now must lay out what must happen to him. Take a look. Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. From that time, that means from the time Peter and the disciples said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, and they got it right. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and he must suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and the scribes. And he must be killed. And on the third day, he must be raised. You see, the disciples collectively through the mouthpiece of Peter, just moments before, said, Jesus, you're the anointed one. You are the supreme son of the living God. You are the Christ. You're who we've been looking for all of this time. And they're absolutely correct. But where they don't have it right is what they think he's supposed to do now. And that's why Jesus is so emphatic here. You must do these things. It's essential. And he lays them out. So these aren't fill in the blanks, but they're in your notes and they'll come up on the screen. Here's what he lays out. He says, first of all, you must go, or he must go. He must go. And what he means by this is he must go to Jerusalem. What Jerusalem means is it means the foundation of peace, though only a few times in its long history has it ever really lived up to that name, the foundation of peace. Well, we know though in the Bible, because it says a lot about Jerusalem, the bottom line is that it's always been the divinely ordained place for Jewish sacrificial worship. And even if you don't know your Bible that well, you've probably heard of King David and his son Solomon ultimately built the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, and where did he build it? In Jerusalem. So it was always the divine plan that the Messiah should suffer and die in no other place but Jerusalem. And though up to this point, most of Jesus' ministry had been in Galilee and been in the adjacent regions to Galilee, it was now a divine must that he heads down that arduous road to Jerusalem, the city known as the city of the one true living God. It's time, and Jesus has to get to Jerusalem. Why does he have to get to Jerusalem? Well, that's where the second part comes in. His second must is he's got to get to Jerusalem and he must suffer there. Number two is he must suffer. So not only, not only does he have to go, he's got to suffer. And he doesn't just suffer at the hands of just anybody. It's the hands of the chief priests, the scribes, and, the, and the, the, the elders. Excuse me. And this is known as the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is really the highest level of the Jewish court. It's the Jewish high council. Think of it as the supreme court of the religious leaders. And why this is so important that he suffers at the hands of these men is it's because these men were the men that said, we speak for God. 
These were the men that were happy to walk around in their flowing robes and say, you want to know what God thinks? Just ask us. You want to know God's plan? Oh, come here, I'll tell you. You want to know what God's all about? We are the men that hold this information. We are the only ones that really hear from God. So let us give you this information. What was crazy is that these men that said that they spoke for God, well, they completely missed the Messiah. They completely reject Jesus. Think about the reality of this. The Messiah, the Christ, who Peter just moments before has said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He is on the earth in their time. These are the ones who, if anybody should have seen him coming, if anybody should have known better, it was them. But with their very human mindset, because what they like to do is not really speak for God. They liked what their power gave them, their authority gave them. They liked that they could lord that power, making sure you believe that they are men of God, that they think that way about themselves so then they can lord it over the people. They can be applauded when they walk through the streets. When they come to the place of worship in the synagogue, everybody, wow, look at them. How religious, how holy, how awesome. These are the men that are gonna be the ones that actually make Jesus suffer. It will be at their hands. It is God's divine plan that though they say they speak for God, they will end up being the ones that kill the very Messiah they are supposedly telling people to look for. So he has to go to Jerusalem. He's gonna suffer at the hands of the Sanhedrin. Number three is he must be killed. The third must is that Jesus, he's not just gonna suffer and then they're gonna send him on his way. He will be killed. And I want you to see why, and I'm gonna show you from Hebrews chapter nine, verse 22, why exactly the Messiah has to be killed. Take a look at Hebrews 9:22. The Bible says this, indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. If the Messiah is gonna forgive your sins and mine, if the Messiah is gonna be the savior of the world, the ultimate sacrifice, Bloodshed must take place. Jesus is letting his followers know the divine plan for the Messiah is for that Messiah to be the pure and spotless, sinless sacrifice once and for all, for all mankind. And that can't happen unless he's killed. So the pathway of a true Messiah, the true Messiah, the pathway that God has to the city of peace called Jerusalem, well, there will be no peace with God unless that sin issue is taken care of. And you can't take care of a sin issue unless you have the shedding of blood. And Jesus will be the bloodshed. He will be the spotless, sinless lamb that is sacrificed for you and for me and for all mankind. It's gonna be the very son of the living God that will suffer and die. And what you need to understand is there's a mindset shift that has to take place. In fact, somebody here today, maybe that's the first time you've ever even heard that. And when you hear that for the first time, you have to understand there's some, it has to change your mind. There's some cognitive dissonance that happens in your mind. I didn't know that was true about him. But Jesus says, oh yeah, you might have a mindset of your own about who Jesus is. You might have a mindset about what the Messiah should be. And you might have a plan of your own that you think would make sense. But there's a divine plan. And the divine plan says, I must suffer, I must die. And God's redemption plan of the world will then be able to take place. But it won't just happen from going to Jerusalem and suffering and dying. There's a fourth and essential component, and that's he must be raised. There's a fourth super important must, and it's interesting. You're gonna see shortly that it seems like the disciples, they completely missed this one. Somehow they totally miss the resurrection component. But this must, 
is the only must that can make all the other musts bearable. Without the must of the resurrection, all the others, how could we get through them? But the must of the resurrection is the great hope of the Christian faith. The must of the resurrection affirms what Jesus had said in the previous scriptures from last week. Remember when he said, on this rock I'm gonna build my church? That is, if I'm truly the Messiah, the son of the living God, that is the rock I'm gonna build my church upon and the gates of hell can't prevail against it. If Jesus just dies and stays dead, the gates of hell have won. If the gates of hell can't prevail against it, that means he has to beat the gates of hell. He has to beat sin. He has to beat death. And the only way we do that is with a resurrection. So Jesus knows he must rise. It's the great hope, the great crux of the Christian faith. And these are the must that Jesus has to accomplish. And he has mentioned these in veiled ways prior to this moment in Matthew chapter 16. He has referenced this. But in this moment, you have to understand, right after Peter exclaiming, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus knows, I, I gotta really talk to you about this now. You have to really truly understand what the Messiah is about to go through in this next pathway of my ministry on the earth. I don't think you disciples are ready for this about what you're about to see take place. So I must tell you these things so you can have the right mindset. He'll need to be more direct with them and I think you're gonna understand why in this next point. If you're still with me taking notes, the second fill in the blank you have is the misconception. Jesus lays out the musts, but you're gonna see why he had to when you see the misconception that takes place in the very next verse. What we're gonna see in this next verse is we're actually gonna see Peter's opinion on the matter. I love Peter, he's so bold. Vocal Peter, he always speaks up for the rest of the disciples. He's got that leadership DNA. And he speaks up in Matthew chapter 16, verse 22. And take a look at what Peter says. Remember, this is Peter. Upon this rock, I will build my church. All right, here's what Peter says. Peter took him aside after Jesus shares all these musts that are gonna take place. And he began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. I want you to picture it, because I made you picture it last week. Caesarea Philippi. It's a bunch of regular, ordinary-looking men hanging around together. And I want you to picture, as Jesus is explaining the musts, you've just nailed it, Peter. I am the Christ, the son of the living God. And they're looking at him. And then he starts to say, I gotta do these things. I gotta go to Jerusalem. And they already know that people don't like him there. And I gotta go suffer. And I gotta die. And I'm gonna be risen from the grave. It seems like Peter completely missed the risen from the grave part. And Peter grabs Jesus by the arm. Or imagine him putting his arm around Jesus and he pulls him to the side and says, Jesus, what are you talking about? No way. This is the rebuke. No way. Not going to happen, Jesus. He pulls him aside from the others. Jesus, your plan can't happen. Ultimately, Peter's saying this. I know you're the son of the living God. I'm the one who just said it. And I know you're the savior of the world. And I know it's your church and I know your ways are higher than our ways, but I don't like your plan, God. <laughs> so I'm gonna pull you aside and tell you how wrong you are. Before you get too hard on Peter, can you relate? Let me ask you this way. Have you ever had the mindset that your plan was much better than God's plan? Here's what I know. We love God's plan when it aligns with our plan. <laughs> Those are my favorite plans of God. 
It makes perfect sense to me. I think he's being very reasonable and he has seen the light when he understands Andrew's way. Good job, God, you got it. But if you've ever asked this question before, if you've ever said, why me, Lord? You ever asked that question? Or, or have you ever asked this question? Why did that have to happen to them, Lord? You ever asked a question like that? Maybe not out loud, but in your heart. Have you ever asked this question? Why did you make that rule to live by God? Do you know how much easier my life would have been, God, if you never made that the standard? You know how much happier my family would be with me right now today, God, if that weren't the standard that you've set forth? Why, why did you have to draw the line there, God? If you've ever asked questions like that, you've been, one of those, you've been in one of those Peter moments. One of those moments where, God, where God's plan doesn't seem like it's lining up with your plans very nicely. And just like Peter, don't get it twisted, we do the same thing. We tend to rebuke God when his plans don't align with ours. We tend to like to take them to the side and be like, wait, 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 wait. I don't think you know what times we live in. Wait, 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 wait. I, I don't think, Jesus, I don't think you know where I work. Jesus, I, come here, Jesus, come here. It sounds good in a sermon, but you don't know my family. And we rebuke him and we say, Jesus, we don't like your plan. Peter is in full effect here doing this very thing. And he sums it up so well and says, this shall never happen to you, Jesus. Your divine plan will never take place on my watch, Jesus. I don't want you to miss this. Peter in his very human mindset and his own earthly idea of what would happen once the Messiah was revealed was wrong. I mentioned this last week. Peter was convinced that the Messiah was gonna come and overthrow Rome. The Messiah that Peter had in his mind was a political Messiah. The Messiah that Peter had in mind was one that was gonna be a conquering warrior Messiah. The Messiah that Peter had in his mind was gonna take this Jewish high council, these guys who said they spoke for God but all the people knew that they were just a bunch of punks. And, she, and Peter's like, finally, we can sweep those guys out. And then Peter's thinking, I'm pretty big deal. You just called me the rock. I mean, I'm kind of a big deal. I'm probably going to be on the high council. I'm probably going to be in the Supreme Court. And he's got this wonderful mindset in his mind of the way the Messiah should play out in his earthly life. But he was wrong. In his very human mindset, his opinion was dead wrong. And that's exactly what a misconception is. A misconception is a wrong view or opinion on the matter. When there's another matter or another opinion or, or another stance that is actually true and correct and right. We see Peter exercising a basic universal truth and it's this, the wisdom even of the best of men is typically opposite to the wisdom of God. So Jesus is gonna have to set that wrong view right. And boy, does he do it. If you're still with me, take a look at number three. It's your next fill in the blank. It's the mindset. He laid out the musts. We just saw Peter's misconception, his wrong view. And now Jesus is gonna set this mind correct. His opinion was wrong, so Jesus has this task of giving his disciples a new mindset. Take a look at Matthew chapter 16, verse 23. But he turned to Peter and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, Peter. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, 
but on the things of man. Get the picture again, Caesarea Philippi area. He's walking with him. Peter's got his arm around Jesus. Don't do it, Jesus. Not on my watch, not gonna happen. All right, what did Jesus do? Pushes him behind him. Pushes him back. Looks Peter in the eyes and says, get behind me, Satan. Does Jesus know who he just pushed? It's the rock. It's the guy who just had the divinely correct answer just moments ago. It's on this rock I'll build my church. It's like you just nailed it. You got the right answer. And I'm going I'm to build an entire ecclesia, an entire assembly of believers on the truth that Peter had just proclaimed just moments before. And now he says, oh, you're not a rock. You're a stumbling block to me. A hindrance, stumbling block. Calls him Satan. And you say, too harsh, Andrew. I don't like when Jesus gets so harsh. And I want you to understand what Jesus is saying to Peter when he puts him behind him and says, you are Satan. What he is saying to him, he's, he's, I'm, I'm rejecting that idea, Peter. I'm, a, I'm rejecting your opinion. He still loves Peter to the depths that no one else has ever loved Peter. But he loves him enough to tell him the truth. And he says, I'm rejecting completely your, your suggestion in verse 22. That whole thing where you rebuked me, I reject it 100%. And it's not harsh. In fact, it's completely appropriate because we, we know something. We know what Satan tried to do to Jesus back in Matthew chapter four. Remember Jesus with Satan in the wilderness? And what did Satan do? Satan knew what the divine plan was gonna be. And he was doing everything he could to keep Jesus off that divine plan. He knew the must. He knew Jesus needed to go to Jerusalem. He had to suffer, had to die, had to rise. And Satan knew that if, oh, if he gets to rise, I'm done. I'm finished. The gates of hell are, are, are shut down. I can't let it happen. So what does he do? He meets Jesus in the wilderness and he says, hey, Jesus, I, I know all about that divine plan. And you, you can do some parts of that. There's some cool stuff and the people are gonna love it. But what about a little of this? How about you do just a little part of that and then you can do a little bit of this and then you don't have to do the whole suffer and die thing. You don't have to worry about rising because you don't even have to die. Like, let's just, you can have both. In fact, I got all kinds of stuff I can give you right now, here and now on the earth. Let me tempt you with this earthly option. Let's just forget about the severity of the divine plan right now, Jesus. And so when Jesus hears Peter speaking like this, saying, don't fulfill this difficult divine plan that God the Father, the living God has laid out for you. Don't do it. Peter sounds exactly like, Satan. It's that voice that says, that divine plan doesn't matter that much. Just worry about the here and now. Follow what will feel good right now. That's your better option. See, when you see the divine and you have the mindset of God, you get called the rock. But when you have the mindset of the world, you become a stumbling block, just like Peter. And I don't know about you, how you feel when you hear Peter being called Satan, but I actually find some comfort in it. And I know that might sound strange to you, but here's how that hits me. When I see Peter proclaiming that Jesus is the Christ and having such a wonderful, beautiful, divine moment, and then you have this juxtaposition where in the very next breath, he's being called Satan. It's unmatched in New Testament language. He's being called Satan himself. I don't know about you, but I can relate. I've had these moments in my own life where I'm just, I'm all about the divine plan. I'm all about the will of God. 
Whatever it may be, Lord, use me, send me, take me. Whatever you gotta take out of my life, do it. And honestly, like in the very next breath, it doesn't take many verses later in Andrew's life before I start talking like somebody from the world. And I start to fixate on the things of the flesh. And my human nature can kick in. So when I see that Peter, the apostle, can understand living life like that, I take great comfort because Jesus hasn't given up on him. And Jesus is willing to tell us the harsh truth when it's the best thing for us. And I've been that type of believer. And so I need to hear from Jesus when I lose my way. And I want you to see what Jesus tells Peter one more time in verse 23. Take a look at that second portion of verse 23 one more time with me. Jesus says there's a solution and here's your problem. You are not setting your mind. When you start to focus on the earth and the worldly, the things of this flesh, you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but you're setting them on the wrong thing, the things of man. Jesus approaches this final stage of his earthly ministry and he lets us know that you have an option for your mindset and you're gonna need to shift it if any of this stuff's ever gonna make sense. You can set your mind on the divine, on the things of God, or, don't miss this today, you can leave your mind in its default setting. And the default setting of your mind is very similar to my bad alarm clock. It doesn't have great results. The default setting of the mind of man is always gonna miss the divine plan of God. So before you choose your default setting, I want you to remember what we just learned from this section of scripture. There's a must. That is, God's divine plan must happen. By the way, spoiler alert, we're in the church age. Jesus did go to suffer in Jerusalem. He died there. He bled and died for you and me, and he rose from the grave. The resurrection is a reality today for you and me. The divine plan occurred, but the divine plan hasn't stopped. He still has a divine plan for you and me, and it must happen. And what's so crazy to me is God invites us along that. And he says, if you can have the mind of Christ, if you can focus in on the divine, if you can get your mind off of the earthly things and finally fix them on what's eternal, what's gonna truly last, because you're not a cosmic mistake. You're actually a, a, a meant to be here person. You, you have a physical form, but you have a spirit inside you that God's calling out to. And because of that reality for you, God says, I have a divine plan and it must happen. And I invite you into that. And the divine plan will never be wrong, but we are the ones like Peter who show up to the scene with the misconception. We end up with the worldly mindset about the future of Messiah, what we think about Jesus, and the future for our own divine plan that he has for you and for me. So what do we need? We need a new mindset. Jesus had an adjustment that he had to make with his disciples, and that same adjustment to their minds has to occur in our minds as well. It's the adjustment that any man or woman or child needs. It's the adjustment to move our minds toward the things of God. You might say, Andrew, what's the big deal? Why do I really have to do that? And I wanna just encourage you with something today. I don't wanna offend you, but I wanna encourage you. Because guess what? That life of yours, it's not actually yours. It's his. If you were just a cosmic mistake, you were just a random act of something, then it wouldn't matter. But you're his creation. He's creator God. He's the living God. You're not your own, you're his. You're his because it's all his. 
So it can't be your plan. It's got to be his plan. It can't be your ways because your ways are not high enough. His ways are higher. You see, why this matters so much is when you get stuck in the earth and you get stuck in that human mindset, you miss this significant, higher, divine plan that God has for you. He's in charge. And when our opinion differs from his, guess what? Please don't be offended today. I just need you to know your opinion doesn't matter. Our misconception will ultimately never have an impact on his divine must. And so it's better for you and me to eliminate that misconception and get fixated on what he must do. Adjust our mindsets. In fact, that's your next fill in the blank today. If you're still taking notes with me, this is how you can respond. It's to adjust your mindset, but not just blanketly, I will say daily. Adjust your mindset daily. I've got more bad news for you, ready? <laughs> You're saying, I've heard enough. All right, let me give you a little more. Ready for some more? Your mind is not like your iPhone. Some of us know this all too well. Like we need our iPhone to remember like to wake up, to breathe, to get to that appointment. Like our brains are mush because of this thing probably. But I, I have bad news. Your mind's not like your iPhone in that the default setting of your mind isn't so great. This iPhone's awesome as an alarm clock. Your default setting Again, the bad news, unfortunately, it's more like my bad alarm clock, my old school alarm clock. The default setting of your mind, and again, I don't mean to offend, I just want you to hear the truth. And the truth is, just like my mind, your default setting is bad. And in case you don't want to believe Andrew, I don't blame you. I think you should know where the truth lies. The truth is in the scriptures. And I want to share with you just a couple. There's many. Let me share with you from Mark chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. Here's what the Bible says about what's inside you, your default setting. It says, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Where does your mindset come from? It actually comes from a place called your heart. It's this inside part of you. And you know what lives there apart from Christ? You know what the default setting is? Sexual immorality is. Theft is. Murder. Your default setting is adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. And this is not a comprehensive list. It could go on and on. All of these evils come from not just anywhere. It's the default setting inside. It's our internal makeup. That's what defiles you and me. We are all sinners, the Bible says. No one is righteous, not even one, the Bible says. So you see here that your thoughts come from your heart, but you can't follow Oprah's advice and follow your heart. I like Oprah, I do. I like when she gives away nice things. I think she's lovely in many ways. But when every time I hear her say, follow your heart, I think that's the worst advice I'd ever heard. Because I know what's in the heart. And what's in there is what we just heard from Jesus in the book of Mark. That's what's inside you and me. I don't care, maybe you don't know Oprah. Whatever your YouTube personality says. And when they show up on YouTube and they say, hey, follow your heart, you can do it, you're great. They're trying to be nice. And in fact, it feels good when you hear those words sometimes. And you get empowered like, yeah, I should follow my heart. And it sounds right because the default setting of your mind says that's all about you. You're in charge. It's your life. You are Lord. And we love when we hear that because that sounds like a plan I would like. But Jeremiah tells us this, Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart will lie to you. 
Don't follow your heart. It's deceitful above all things. It's beyond cure. Who can understand it? No one in the flesh can. No one in the earth can. No one in culture can truly understand the depths of depravity of the human heart. So in case you weren't convinced today, your natural default setting is identical to Peter's and mine. And guess who that's closest to? It's not God. It's Satan. Our default setting is likely going to be a hindrance to God's divine plan. We need to understand that every day we wake up. If you choose to follow your heart, you're going to follow the default setting of your heart. And the Bible says, that's not a great option. And you might say back to me, not me, preacher. My heart's good. My heart is pure. Well, I've talked a lot about clocks today, haven't I? Even a dead clock is right twice a day. (laughs) Meaning, when you tell me that, I might say, you might get lucky, you're right. And I did the math this week, there's 1,440 minutes in a day. And let's say the clock's dead and you get it right twice. That's two minutes out of 1,440. Guess what percentage of the time you're right? 0.14%. This isn't perfect spiritual math, but I'll just tell you right up. 99.86% of the time, you'll be wrong. I feel pretty comfortable telling you that. If, if Oprah can tell you to follow your heart, then I'm going to tell you, if you follow your heart, you're probably going to be wrong 99.86% of the time because Andrew will be too. That's the reality. So you can live your life that way if you'd like to, or you have the option to change your mindset daily. You have the option to say, I got to know the truth. Every day I wake up, I have to know what's true and I can't follow this deceitful heart of mine. So consider adjusting your mindset daily. How do you practically do that? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) If you follow enough Christians long enough, you're going to find that a Christian you love and admire and you think they're really getting it right, they do something called quiet time. And quiet time for a Christian usually looks like this. Kind of the first thing in the morning, you wake up, got to get your coffee. And then you open up your Bible out. Or maybe you open up an old school Bible. And some of you in here, you've been serving God so long, it's all highlighted and the pages are all worn. And in those moments of quiet time, you say, my heart's deceitful. I know it's going to lie to me today, God. I know it's going to tell me that I should follow my passions, my desires, and this is my life, and I can do whatever I want. But I know that's not the right thinking. I know that's human thinking. So I'm going to open up the divine plan. That is the word of truth. And God, will you set my mind? Will you set me straight today, God? Will you erase the Andrew part of my mind? And will you bring in the Jesus part of my mind? Will you focus me on the eternal because this temporal's fading away? It overpromises me every day, God. It underdelivers every single time. God, show me the plan. Show me the divine. Now, if the quiet time were a religious act for you, it's worthless. Religious acts don't save you. You know what saves you? Jesus. It's the musts he laid out. He had to go to Jerusalem. He had to suffer. He had to die. He rose from the grave. If you today place your faith in that, you will be saved even if you don't get to your quiet time. It's Jesus who saves. Quiet time or religious acts never saved a soul and they never will. So what's up with the quiet time, Andrew? You're not being very quiet, Andrew. So what's up with the quiet time? (laughs) I'll tell you, the quiet time doesn't save you but it adjusts your default setting. 
And the only way to adjust the mind is to fill it with the truth of God's word at least every single day. And what happens during quiet time? Well, you know what's going to happen to you? A verse like Proverbs is going to show up. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 to 6. And guess what the Bible is going to tell you in your quiet time? It's going to say, hey, you, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Hey, you who've been doing your own thing, lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He will set your path straight. It's not up to you. You don't have enough in you. You can't figure it out. You don't have that kind of wisdom. You need divine wisdom. And that's the truth of God's word. And you open it and it feels like so tangible. And it changes your day. And if you're like Peter, and if you're like me, you're going to be in one of those moments or one of those seasons and you woke up on the wrong side of the bed and you said, why God? Why is this happening to me? Or you wake up and you say, why God? Why is it happening to them? And you say, why God? This is not how I would have made this life. This is not how I would have written the story. You're wrong, God. And the Spirit will convict you in your quiet time. He's going to whisper something like this like he does to me. And he'll say, Andrew, my ways are not your ways. And he'll say, Andrew, my thoughts are not your thoughts. And he says this beautiful thing to me so often. And he just says, trust me. And sometimes I'm crying, and sometimes I don't want to, and I'm holding on like this. And he's just prying my hand open in quiet time. And he says, just trust me. Can you trust me? You call me Savior. You even call me Lord. What does Lord mean? Master, in charge, supreme authority. But am I really? Andrew, will you submit to my plan? You might say, Andrew, I want to do that, but what do I do in the meantime? as I'm struggling to trust God and submit to his plan in my life. Can I tell you something? That's your default fear setting. You know what that setting is? I recognize it. I had a bad alarm clock. That's your default anxiety setting. And so what would I say to you? When you're in that moment and you're having trouble trusting God, you're afraid and you're anxious and you want to believe, but you're having so much trouble believing, I would say, well, go in your quiet time. And you might come across a verse from Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Take a look, and it will say something like this. Finally, brothers and sisters, stop thinking about anxiety and fear. Think about what's true. Think about what's noble. Hey, think about something that's right, that's pure. Whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, fix your mind on those things. That's what jumps out at the pages when you have your daily quiet time to adjust your mind. And then God will adjust your mindset from the inside out and you'll start to set your things, your mind on the things above, not the things of this earth like it says in Colossians. And you'll stop conforming to the pattern of this world and you'll start being transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind, like it says in Romans. And then what will happen when your mind gets renewed? This is what happens. You'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. What does that mean? It means when you go in your quiet time, God says, I'll reveal to you the divine plan you can actually start to see what really matters. You can actually have this thing where you can see the eternal. You can see your destiny. You can see so far beyond the flesh. Will any of this happen by accident? Even a dead clock is right twice a day. I think you got 0.14% chance of it happening by accident. You might get it right here and there. But do you want to 99.86% of the time get your settings right? I believe you need to Adjust your mind daily. May I encourage you today, open the word of truth every single day. 
let the Holy Spirit of God reveal to you what only he can reveal. Because for me, I'd rather have the mind of Christ. I know my mind. And it's all those things from Mark chapter seven. I, I know my mind. I'd rather have the mind of Christ. You see, there's a divine must. It's gonna happen whether my mind gets right or not. The divine reality will take place. It has and it's still going forward. And it will march on far beyond you and me. So the question for us in this little blink of time is what are we gonna do? We'll never see it with our human mindset. So we have to adjust the settings of our minds. Will you adjust it away from the things of man today? And will you fix them on the one? Will you fix them on the one true living God and allow him to adjust you in the name of Jesus? Will you bow your heads and close your eyes? I wanna pray for you. It'd be my great privilege. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you can, even online, let's pray. Let's go to the one who can help us today. Heavenly Father, living God, we pray. We need a mindset shift. God, I thank you that you did what you must do. You weren't thwarted by the hindrances, the blocks that came your way to try to keep the divine plan from happening. It happens. Thank you, Jesus. You rose from the grave so that whoever places their faith in you will be saved. God, I pray for those who have not done that, that this would be the must for them. They must get that picture, the most important part of the divine plan, that Jesus is Lord. Jesus, you are Lord, you are Savior. They need you for peace with God. God, will you be that sacrifice for them? Will you be that for the person that calls upon your name today, I pray? And then for all of us that do, for all of us that have, God, we still like to pull you to the side and convince you that our way is better than yours. We call you Lord. We say you're in charge, and then we spend our lives convincing you about what you should do with us. God, will you remind somebody in the house today? Will they have to do business with God when they walk out of these doors and hand over their life? Give the keys back to you for their life. They've been holding on. It's their way or the highway. They're following their heart, but they've been deceived for so long. God, will you just free somebody in the name of Jesus today? God, will you give us a mindset like that of Christ? Focused on not the things of this world, but the things that you are going to accomplish no matter what. And you've invited us on that journey. God, I pray that you would give everybody the burden to adjust their mindset daily in quiet time. And God, I pray you would be fruitful in that time through the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray all of these things. Amen. 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 Thank you for being with us today. If you have to respond to the message in any way, use a welcome card on your seat. Bring it to guest services. If you're online, use the chat right now to respond. God bless you. Happy 4th of July weekend to you. Stay dry out there, and we'll see you next Sunday. God bless. Thanks for experiencing this message with us. Do you want more New Day Church in your life? Well, please like and subscribe on YouTube and follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Want to take a next step in your faith? Our Church Center app is the best place to get more connected. So just download the free app on your app store today and be sure to choose New Day Church in Enfield, Connecticut. We are able to offer this sermon and all others like it only because of your faithful financial support. Thank you to all of you who so faithfully give each week. 
If you feel led to support our ministry financially, just go to our website at newdaychurch.cc forward slash give. Thank you in advance. May God richly bless you, and we hope to see you again real soon.